This is the Lamp Life Podcast, where we apply the light of the word to all of life. I am Brendan, here again with... Ed. Ed. E.G. Yep. In the house. That's the author name, yeah. Very true. Yep. So apparently, I yelled on the last podcast, but Brendan's editing skills are so... Great. Y'all probably don't know that I did that. Ed yelled at all of us, and I did not edit it at all. So, oh, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't yep. nobody got time for that? Yeah, well, I'll try not to yell on this one because I might have hurt your ears. Mm. Or not. Maybe you like being yelled at. That's mm. good, too. Oh. I don't know if uh, you heard that little beep on my tablet, but apparently I am... Doing great at keeping my focus today. <laughs> mm, yes. So the, the so the app tells me. This is very good uh, podcast content. What is? You're keeping your focus. Everybody wants to know, especially me. What yep. is what is one thing you don't know about me yet? I'll tell you one thing I don't know about you. Okay. Nothing. That's a great philosophical concept. <laughs> what's what's one thing I don't know about you? Well, if I knew the answer to that, I would know, wouldn't I? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. You make a great point. I see you wearing your for the shirt, uh for the for the shirt for the church shirt <laughs> yep. over there. Yep, yep. Represent. Yep, representing Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is one of the only two seminaries I graduated from, not all six. Mm-hmm. So I graduated twice from Southwestern, uh, twice from Midwestern, and once from Henderson State University. Yeah, the only Southern Baptist school you missed out on is the only one that matters, huh? Mm, yes. That's the way that goes. Yep, spoken like a truth. The Southern Baptist Seminary graduate. You know, I used to deny that uh, that I fit into the culture there very much, but now that I've been away from it, I'm like, you know what? I think it did rub off on me. But the the culture in Midwestern is, I think, a uh, a representation, like a little brother representation of Big Brother Southern Seminary. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen Jason Allen and. Our molars stand next to each other. Jason Allen looks like the bigger brother because he is bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, but he's younger. That's the way it usually works out, though. Yeah. Usually little brother's taller. Yeah. But it doesn't mean he's stronger. Is that true in your case? It is. Yeah. It's 100% so, true. Oh, so you're saying you're stronger than Zachary? You don't have to ask me. You can call him. Okay. I'll I'll call him. Not that anybody cares about it, yeah. except for us two. Would you consider yourself to be a Midwestern Seminary fanboy? Well, I was listening to this morning's chapel, so I do try to catch their chapel. Mm-hmm. But you know who I'm more of a quote-unquote fanboy of? Yes, I know you know. I know you're going to say Joe Thorne right yep, now. Yep, that's right. Uh, yep. Yep. I love me some Joe Thorne. 
Joe, if you ever listen to this podcast, I just, I, I don't know if you're going to be creeped out by this or if this will make your heart leap with joy. Well, Ed, Ed, I think, talks about you more than any other human being in all of God's creation. And that's okay. I don't care <laughs> if people know that or not. Maybe even more than Jesus. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's pretty sad considering my official title is Pastor of Education and Evangelism. Yep, yep. Yep. You ever heard of Joe Thorne? Well, I do that with all the mission teams. And you know what's really funny is he has an Instagram account that's open, Joe does. So every time I have a college group mission team stay with me, mm-hmm. uh, I always tell them, hey, everybody text Joe Thorne one question all at once, one right after another. And then I have them tag it with, Ed sent me here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bet he just loves that. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yep. So the last thing he sent to at least some of them was, you, you need to stay away from Ed Romine because he, if you rearrange his name, it spells out demon hire. Mm. Yeah. Is that is that a fact? Apparently, they fact-checked him. And if you take the... Letters E-D-R-O-M-I-N-E, you can rearrange them into demon hour. Wow. Which, you know, that's interesting considering I had a background, you know, in the occult and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun idea. Hey, you your, th- your thing just dinged again. Yeah, apparently my short break has ended. Get oh. back to work is what it tells me. So are you not working right now? What are you doing? Apparently not. Oh, Okay. Well, this is fun for me. Well. Yeah. You think we've lost listeners by now? Yeah, we'll see you later. Okay. It's been real. Yep. What are we talking about today? What's uh, what's the plan here, Ed? Well, last time we spoke about Scripture's authority and purpose. This time, we want to narrow down even further into another topic which is inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just start us off. I'm, I'm going to read a couple of biblical passages for us uh, just to get our, our minds into the topic here. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, we don't want to use words like inerrant and infallible flippantly. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we do want to be precise in what we mean by that. But again, the reason we're doing this is because the whole premise of this podcast is to apply God's word to our lives. And I think the obviously big question behind that is why? Why would you do that? Uh, well, it's because of what we believe God's word is. And so we're, we're breaking down uh, kind of some of these different categories that are usually considered a doctrine of scripture to start things off. So, uh, yeah, this week we're going to look at inerrancy and infallibility. And so a couple of biblical passages I just want to read to start us off with this topic. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it, or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it. 
what does that tell us? It tells us God cannot be deceptive. That's right. And anything that he says, he will say it without error. Correct. Without mistake. Uh, you know, if you really boil it down and, uh, you know, John, John Frame puts this, I think, really beautifully in his book, but he says that, uh, that basically an error can only arise out of either deceit or ignorance. Mm-hmm. And God is not deceitful. He's not a liar. And then listen to Psalm 33, 13 to 15. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. That doesn't sound like a God who's ignorant of anything. No, it does not. So if error then can only arise out of somebody who is deceitful or ignorant, and God is not deceitful nor ignorant, then the things that God says cannot be errant. But we need to be clear on what we mean by that. So, mm-hmm. Ed, why don't you start us off just by running us through what we mean when we say the Bible is inerrant or, slash, and, mm-hmm. the Bible is infallible. Yes. So, inerrant means that the scriptures in their original autographs, and we'll get to that in a moment, means that it contains nowhere errors. Uh, It is without error. Infallibility, on the other hand, some have said is an even stronger statement in that not only is scripture without Era, but it is infallible. It is incapable of erring. So, so it's a question of what is reality versus its very nature. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else on that? <laughs> yep. So, when we say that Scripture is inerrant and infallible. What we are saying is that because God in his nature has spoken and in his speech there cannot and will not ever be any untruth, that means that if Scripture is the authoritative word of God, I think we made a strong case for that, in the last episode, Scripture's truthfulness is just as true as God is in his very nature and essence. Yeah. I think one of the points that you're making there is really important to draw out clearly is when we're talking about inerrancy, we really are talking about truth. Correct. We, we are saying that everything that the Bible speaks to uh, is true. Correct. And is trustworthy. Because it is true, obviously. Yes. But uh, some people in the in the evangelical world, um, and some who have you know been kind of removed from the evangelical world, if you will, will try to make the argument that the Bible we we can't say that the Bible is inerrant mm-hmm. uh, because if you look at the Bible, it's just filled with error. Right, uh, but we can say they'll say we can say the Bible is infallible, 
so the way that they, of course, will define inerrancy and infallibility mm-hmm. is more on a level of particular precision right? with, uh, with exact details within the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, if you boil it down to exact details within the Bible, you can identify different errors that were that are within it. That's the claim that they'll make anyways. Um, And, and therefore we cannot, these scholars will say, claim that the Bible is inerrant, Mm -hmm. but we can say it's infallible and they'll define infallibility as trustworthy. Right. They'll say, we can't say it's without error, but we can say it's trustworthy. How would you respond to that? Yeah. So what I would say is on the question of the, Bible's precision. John John Frame makes this point, as does Matthew Barrett, and that precision and truth claims are not always equal. And one of the things that, that they will point out in the actual world that we live in every day, if somebody says or asks you, what time is it? And you say, it's two o'clock, but in precision, it's really two o three. Were you being imprecise? Yes, you were, but you weren't being untruthful by saying it's two o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, in the realm of biblical inerrancy, a lot of people will point to the New Testament's use of the old and say, well, when you look at the Old Testament quotations of of the New, the New Testament doesn't always quote the Old Testament verbatim. And it's not precise in the way that it quotes. Well, there's very good answers for for that, but one of the things I would say is that, first off, it's not untrue in its quotation of a translation of the Old Testament. The New Testament is using the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So that's why there's differences. But even though the wording is not an exact, literal, precise translation, it is still a true and faithful translation. So that's one example we could use. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I do think Frame articulates this really well in his book, Doctrine of the Word of God. He says, Inerrancy therefore means that the Bible is true, not that it is maximally precise. Mm-hmm. To the extent that precision is necessary for truth, the Bible is sufficient, sufficiently precise, but it does not always have the amount of precision that some readers demand of it. It has a level of precision sufficient for its own purposes, not for the purposes for which readers might employ it. Right. And uh, and so, yeah, the, the point of inerrancy is not that it is precise to the extent that a scientist would want it to be precise right. in the way that it articulates various details regarding the way that the earth rotates or whatever that may mm-hmm. entail. 
Right. And but that it's true in everything that it says. Right. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is inerrant. And so right. another example that that uh, that frame gives that I think is helpful along the lines of your example of time is, uh, you know, if, if I were to ask you, how old are you? What would you say? I would say that I am 32. Ed. Yeah. Do you know how old you are? 32. You, okay. Are you yeah. sure about that? I feel pretty precise about that, yes. Okay. You're 32 years old. Yeah. Is that precise? Is it is it true? Not down to to the to the month and the second because I'm actually closer in time to being 33 than I am right at a changing to 32. Okay, so is it yeah. untrue then that you're 32? No. I had yeah. to think about that. No, yeah. because of what we would expect. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, the question is whether or not on the level of precision that's expected, you're articulating what is true. Right. And so the same thing is true of the Bible. So many of the cheap shots that I think are thrown at inerrancy are thrown at inerrancy on this level. Right. That, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, we have errors because we've learned things since the days of the Bible. Right. We're and, smarter than the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. That essentially mentality. that. Yep. And, uh, of course, we would just want to be clear, that's not what we mean by the category of inerrancy mm-hmm. at all. What we mean right. is to the level of precision that's expected, mm-hmm. uh, really even by the original audience, mm-hmm. the, the, the material is true. Yep. Right? Now, would we say that any and all uh, of the uh, copies that we have of the Scripture are inerrant? I because this say, is going to be another point of yep, uh, yep. debate, right? That's often brought up. They're right. Gonna, gonna be, well, what about all these variants? What about all these right. contradictions or things that you see in the in the text and the level of uh, how this translation puts it versus how this translation puts it? You know, right. how, how can you say that it, it's God's word and it's inerrant if we see all of these textual errors? How do mm-hmm. we deal with that? Yeah. Well, one of the ways. In- and which I would say to directly answer your original question, which no, the copies are not a perfect representation of the original autographs. And the reason why I can say that and still say that the scriptures are inerrant and trustworthy and cannot err and do not err, and will not err is because of a discipline called textual criticism, Mm -hmm. meaning that scribes in the dedication of preserving the Word of God made copies of the original. I think it's safe to say here in the context of this discussion, uh, we don't even have copies of the original, but we'll get more into that in another podcast. But the scriptures, as we have them, they're still the voice of God. Even though there might be some nuances and changes, the truthfulness of the text is not negated because it's not precisely 100 zillion percent accurate to what 
would have been the originals. But it is, uh, I would say, 99.999% accurate, and, and it's trustworthy. So regardless of what reputable English translation you can have, you, you can trust that your Bible is a faithful representation of the inerrant uh, Greek New Testament and Hebrew and Aramaic Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> now, as we study all of the different copies that we have doing textual criticism, uh, of course, we know that a vast majority of the biblical text that we have is is indisputable. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's very trustworthy. Uh, but even in those texts that are trustworthy um, in terms of like, you know, there's, there's not variance on these things. Like mm-hmm. we, 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 we can have full confidence that right. we have what was in the original autograph or, or, or for those of you who don't know what the word autograph means, it means the original manuscript. Right. So, so the autograph is when Paul, you know, had his scribe and then at times took the pen out of his own scribe's hand and, whatever that was on that original parchment that right. was the autograph. Um, so w- is there a possibility that those autographs had, let's just say grammatical errors on them? Absolutely. Okay. Now, why does that not get us flustered that there could have been grammar problems with, within the text? Yeah. Well, I'll just quote from Matthew Barrett's book, which we, recommended last time and this is not actually Matthew Barrett's own words he's quoting from another scholar by the last name of Feinberg I believe it's John Feinberg but the very first point in a list of eight uh, facts that he says that inerrancy does not demand listen to this first fact inerrancy does not demand strict adherences to the rules of grammar. So what what he is saying there is that in the copying of the other manuscripts, of which we have plenty, just speaking of the New Testament, I, I find it absolutely amazing that God even chose to use fallible and errant human beings Mm -hmm. to communicate his inerrant and infallible word. And human beings being humans, when they were copying down, we'll just take, for example, the Greek manuscripts. If you ever seen a picture of a Greek manuscript, it was written in all capital letters, all capital Greek letters, I should say, and there was no spacing between any of the letters or words. And so it's not, if you've ever seen like a Nestle, uh, Nestle Altman 95, or I forget what the newest version of where it's like, maybe the first letter is capitalized, but everything else is lowercase Greek, and it's all nice and laid out where you can read it. Uh, the original uh, Greek parchments, even the copies, are not laid out like that. Uh, they're very hard to read, 
and and you could see how somebody might mistake one Greek letter for another or put a comma where, where there is no comma, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, or put a rough breathing mark where there is no rough breathing mark. And that's the majority of the many errors that, that liberals will like to say. Look and see how much your New Testament has been changed. And they try to undermine uh, the believer's uh, trustworthiness in the Scriptures when they do that. But in the vast majority of cases, uh, none of the grammar (coughs) issues, as we'll say, is really anything to be concerned with. Yeah, because God, in any case, he's using human authors to communicate his truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, the issue is not the precise accuracy of the grammar. Right. As as it would have been expected, um, you know, in Koine Greek, which, uh, by the way, Koine Greek was not the only kind of Greek that was spoken. It was it was actually the the language of the common people. Right. Um, it wasn't the scholarly sort of Greek that many of the more educated people were already using mm-hmm. at that point in time. It was common man Greek. And so God is choosing to communicate his truth through human beings. And also because he is communicating through human beings, he's communicating through human language. But not only that, he's communicating through uh, what would have been considered the more common human language. Right. And so the point isn't, you know, whether or not there's a right period here or there. The point is whether or not the text is true in what it is communicating from God through his people to his people. That's what the matter of inerrancy has to do with, right? So right. God is condescending to human language. Uh, no, no matter what language he's choosing to do it in, he's condescending to human language. And so we would expect there to be uh, f- you know, fallible components in the language itself, if we want to put it that way. But that doesn't make the Scripture infallible, because whether or not the Scripture is infallible has to do with whether or not it's true in what it's articulating. Which goes back to the question of God's very nature. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, no matter what how how you parse it out, God God is revealing himself to people. Right. And as a, again, and again, it gets into the creator-creation distinction here, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Because God is not like us. And uh, and so he is a speaking God. He is a communicating God. Mm -hmm. But I doubt he's been communicating for all of history in Greek, you know, in Koine Mm -hmm. Greek. I doubt he's been communicating in his inner Trinitarian communication in uh, English, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, Or James English. yeah. Yeah, so so... However you you parse it out, he is condescending into human language, and he's communicating the truth of who he is Mm -hmm. and of what he is doing in in history and in creation to his people through these human authors who are inspired by the Spirit to write down what is true about him. Right. Um, So that's why we don't get flustered over grammar, uh, even in the autographs, right? That's right. That doesn't make God untrue. Yeah, I just think about that uh, quote that I paraphrased last time of John Calvin, uh, God's baby talk. Yeah, that's and, right. And you, 
you do realize, uh, dear listeners, that uh, God would have been just as good, just as just, and just as loving if he had never spoken to us. Yeah. So God speaking to us is an extension of his mercy, I would say. It's an extension of of his kindness towards fallen human creatures. Yeah, definitely. Okay, one one other point that is important on this is to see the way that the scripture gives internal testimony to this idea of inerrancy and infallibility. So, yeah. uh, Ed, why, why don't you fill us in a little bit on how the scripture views itself in right. that sense um, to be uh, trustworthy in that it is communicating the truth of God. Right. So, scripture's own testimony... T- to its own truthfulness. And you can look at Psalm 119 for this one. That whole psalm is is all about the truthfulness of God's statutes, uh, God's commandments, God's ordinances, God's laws. And, And it's just a wonderful Old Testament tome on Scripture's own truthfulness about about itself. And then secondly, Jesus himself believed that the Old Testament was inerrant. The way that he battled the Pharisees of his day was, have you not read? Have you not read? One one of the things that I find just fascinating with going back to the liberals, the debate about whether or not uh, Adam and Eve were actual human people. You go back to the Gospels. Jesus believes that they lived and breathed the air on the earth mm-hmm. and that they had a relationship with God. That, If you want a scripture reference for that, dear listener, Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Cain and Abel, same thing. Matthew twenty three thirty five and Luke eleven fifty one Noah and the flood. I could keep going on and on. By the way, I'm getting this out of Matthew Barrett's wonderful book on on uh, sola scriptura. This is on page two seventy five for those that care. He's got a bullet pointed list of all the actual Old Testament places Jesus believed was the word of God. And he affirms the truthfulness of the Old Testament that the Pharisees and Sadducees should have staked their souls upon. But not only that, Jesus believed his own words were scripture. Mm -hmm. Every other prophet said, thus says Yahweh. But Jesus says what? Verily, verily, I say unto you, you know, truly, truly, to yeah. get out that King James language. Yep. And then, as we... In other, in other words, by the way, Jesus yep. is saying, whereas the prophets say, thus says the Lord, Jesus yep. says, I say. Right. He doesn't need to say, thus says the Lord. Right. Because <laughs> he is Yahweh. That's right. 
Yeah, which even that little phrase, dear listeners, is a testament to his divinity. Yep. Yeah, I'm getting excited. I'm trying not to yell. So, so, <laughs> and even this last um, episode we did, where we talked about the scriptures, Second Timothy three fourteen through seventeen, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, where we're talking about all scriptures. Theonostos, you remember what that uh, Greek word means? God breathed. It's very unique, and he, and he says it's God breathed. It's it's profitable for all these things in the list it says there. And the only way that it can be profitable is if the, the Scripture's testimony is infallible and inerrant. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's good. I think even of um, Paul writing, you know, referring to Paul, or uh, Peter, I'm sorry, writing, referring to, uh, Paul's writings in Second mm-hmm. Peter three sixteen, referring to them as as uh, scriptures, right? But saying some of the things are hard to understand. Yep, which I right that I, that doesn't mean that yep. he's not communicating in truth. That is that doesn't mean that uh, it's not clear. Um, you know, we'll get into you talking about the clarity of scripture, uh, but the the significance of that pertaining to our particular conversation is that it is the scriptures, you know, and what he is communicating thus is the word of God. Yeah, and that's know, so. There's even internal testimony within the New Testament regarding other New Testament yeah. scriptures. You know, I said in the last episode, I just mentioned. I find this very funny that he said that the scripture that Paul's words are hard to understand. But I never said why I thought it was funny. So the reason why it's funny is because Second Peter he talks about all the weird stuff like. Uh, uh, mirroring Jude with like angels and demons and all that good stuff, yeah. and nobody uh, there's a like been a everybody lot of knows what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm I'm clear, but Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul wrote some of the most clear treatises on justification by faith alone, Romans and Galatians. Mm-hmm. You know, people people debate about James and Peter sometimes, but a lot of people. Uh, are very clear with the fact that uh, Paul is talking about justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Yeah, that's good. Um, And the only way those doctrines can be true is if the book that we get them from is inerrant and infallible. That's right. And hopefully, even in the short time that we've been uh, talking today, and of course, we're only scratching the surface on these right. issues. Um, we'll, we'll try to leave some more resources that you can consult in the in the show notes. There, there's been a lot of really good stuff written yes. on inerrancy and infallibility, especially in the 20th century, because of all the debates that were being had. Um, I would encourage you even to go look up the Chicago Statement on inerrancy. Yes, uh, just read through that, and that'll give a good articulation of a uh, evangelical Christian perspective on this. But Amen. the whole point of this is just to say that when we say the Bible is inerrant and infallible, we have a particular meaning, yep. uh, and we mean that it is true. It is yep. all 100, 100% true. It is 100% trustworthy uh, insofar as it speaks to the extent of precision that is expected, right? Um, so 
that that's what's meant by it. And that's why we consult the scriptures on everything that the scriptures speak about. Because So would it be fair to say that we have a very precise meaning we, in there? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. We 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 sure do. Yeah. Ed. Well, okay, all right. Just like there's a precise meaning what it means to have a father. Mm, yes. Edward. Yeah. Brendan, you are a good dad. <laughs> yep. We'll if have to you tell, know, we'll have to tell the story sometime. It's oh, a, yeah. Inside jokes going on here. Yep, yep. Uh, well, let's well, just say it was uh, it was an incident at Brigham Young's house where he used to keep all fifty two of his wives. Fifty four, I think. Fifty four. Yeah, yeah, I think. Is that precise? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, you know, man will fail you. God's word will never fail you, even if it's a good man like Joe Thorne. They'll fail you. Oh no, not Joe. Yeah. No. Even don't bring Joe him into this. Yeah. Well, Joe on. can't reach the top of my bookshelf. He's too short. Mm. Yeah. The Lord's hand is not too short. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> See, that was a bad joke. You did not run my joke with that one. So yeah. yeah. That's good. Any final words on this, Ed? Or is that pretty much it? I mean, that's it. Read your Bible today and you can know with confidence. You should leave that in there. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> yep, that's what people think when I roll into a room, man. That's right. All right. All right, we appreciate y'all listening. Uh, yeah, and next week, oh, man, let me see if I can pull up what we're going to be talking about. Should be the clarity of Scripture. So Yeah, perspicuity. That's right. Yeah, y'all get to hear me pronounce that with my accent. That's right. 50,000 times, yeah. That's good. Good job, Ed. Yeah. Proud of you, son. Are you? <laughs> You're such a good dad. Thanks for listening. Please uh, leave leave any feedback. We appreciate feedback. Like, like subscribe, share, do all that stuff. And add Brendan to. on Facebook. He's a lonely. <laughs> I don't get lonely on Facebook. Yeah. Don't worry about that. There he does. Follow him on uh, Twitter. Yeah. For better or for worse, I'm on Twitter again. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye, people. Bye-bye.